couple disclaimers before I get started today. First off, there is no children's church today. Our children's church worker was unable to navigate the Holy Spirit fog, so kids sit tight. Uh, And secondly, uh, second disclaimer, the views and thoughts shared in this sermon are not necessarily the views and thoughts shared by the Carroll Church of Christ. (laughs) Um, I'm talking about creation today and also a little bit of evolution. And the, the one thing about that topic is that there's no debate, right? Everybody agrees. So uh, that's why I make that disclaimer. I, you know, I even heard, uh, not heard, but it wasn't too many years back that, um, um, oh, I forgot the name of it. What's the debate? Mock trial. The topic for the mock trial uh, in the state of Iowa was creation evolution. So uh, definitely one of those hot-button issues where everybody probably has an opinion. Uh, But also, a lot of people probably have not really researched that as much as they could have to form that opinion. And so uh, let's just take a look at it for a little while. Let's see what we we see, what we can come up with. And uh, this is actually kind of a fun one. So... um, I can remember uh, uh, when I was a kid that we were in junior high and me and a couple of buddies got this idea that we wanted to take some of the rock music that we were listening to and we wanted to backmask it. Anybody ever backmask? Okay, well, this is, I'll educate you then. You never backmasked anything. Okay. Backmasking is when you record that acid rock song that your mom doesn't want you to listen to, <laughs> and you record it on a cassette tape, and you unscrew the screws on the cassette tape, you take the reels and you flip them over, screw the cassette tape down again, and you listen to what you just recorded backwards, and you're looking for hidden satanic messages. Nobody? Where have you people been? Okay, good. Uh, you're right. <laughs> Peanut gallery comments. You had eight tracks. Okay, there we go. That makes me feel a little better. Uh, so I don't know if you've seen examples of what um, is said in some of those songs, but it's really kind of interesting. Uh, and my mom was okay with this because she... She thought, well, why don't you guys just backmask those songs? Okay. Because she, she wanted us to see what we were putting in our head, right? And so I say all that to illustrate that the stuff that we put into our head really has an effect, right? You know, we found out that if you play country music backwards, you get your girl back, you find your dog, and you get clean off alcohol, right? <laughs> No, I, there's a lot of neat examples of what is just songs that you grew up with and what you listen to. If you listen to them backwards, there's some really neat stuff on there. So I am hoping that you and I can understand what we put into our head greatly affects us. And hopefully today, maybe, we can get a different perspective, a better perspective, a biblical perspective, and a Christ-like perspective. I heard about the guy who said, I used to think that orthopedic shoes were worthless and didn't work, but now I stand corrected. So I hope that's what uh, you guys, uh, what kind of a peanut gallery was that? Mr. Drake, grandma told me that you, 
oh, sorry, man. There he is right there. Grandma told me you had a creation evolution talk this last Friday with somebody. This is perfect, right? Hopefully we can gain a new perspective. Uh, And hopefully to be able to do that, we got to open our mind and our hearts a little bit. Let's start fresh with all of this, okay? Because we've got a society. uh, We've got professors, teachers that have put stuff into our head on this. Uh, Maybe we haven't got enough of this one in our head. And for sure, we have the enemy of our soul that's tried to influence us on this one. So uh, let's go to the giver of our soul, see what he has to say, and let's be open-minded. First off, though, two examples of people who researched this stuff and maybe didn't have that great of perspective on him. This is George Wall, Professor Emeritus of Biology, Harvard. Nobel Prize winner, 1971. There are only two possible explanations as to how life arose here on the planet. Spontaneous generation arising to evolution or a supernatural creative act of God. There's no third option. Spontaneous generation was scientifically disproved 120 years ago by Louis Pasteur. But that leaves us with only one other possibility, that life came as a supernatural act of creation by God. But I can't accept that philosophy because I don't want to believe in God. Therefore, by faith, I choose to believe in that which I know is scientifically impossible. Spontaneous generation. He's honest. Astrophysicist Fred Hoyle calculated the odds that all of the functional proteins necessary for life, that life might form in the place by random events. He came up with a figure of one chance in 10 to the 40,000th power. That's 40,000 zeros. Since there are only about 10 to the 80th subatomic particles in the entire visible universe, he concluded that this was an outrageously small probability. Life could not have originated here on the earth. Nor does it look as though biological evolution can be explained from within an earthbound theory of life. And he says, I quote, my atheism has been greatly shaken. Good, Fred, good. That's a guy who's willing to look at a different perspective. But that first guy, George Wall, willing to believe even though it's impossible, these sort of Chances of this happening. So we cue the Jim Carrey clip, right? So you're saying there's a chance. Remember that one? We struggle on this one. And really when you boil it down, the Bible tells us that we really don't need to struggle on this one. So let's see what it says. You can see in the bulletin there in the place where you take sermon notes, I got a passage of scripture right there. And you can see that right above that passage of scripture, there is the title of the sermon, Explain Plain. Well, that's what I'm going to allow the Bible to do for us right now. That passage of scripture says that what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God's made it plain to them. The next verse, which I have not written there, is verse 20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, read in, his eternal power and divine nature, 
have been clearly seen. His invisible qualities clearly seen. How? By what's been made. By what's been created. So that, so, so much so, that men are without excuse. You can put the next slide up there. So that men are without excuse. Without excuse. Plain. God's divine qualities, his divine nature, his power, plain. God says plain. Why do we struggle so much then? How does this struggle affect the way you and I see ourselves? Very much so. Well, let's look at evolutionary theory. What can we say is plain about it? Remembering that it's still called a theory. Evolution says that the path of all living matter is rising to higher life forms. Um, it's like this. I, most of you know that I just recently sold my house. And so with some of the proceeds from my house, a couple of days ago, I bought a brand new cherry red Ferrari. <laughs> Not really. So what I did with my brand new Ferrari is I said, I am not even going to drive this. I'm not even going to put any miles on it. Took the wheels off, put it on blocks in the garage, put a tarp over it. Not even going to move, right? I don't want, I want to keep it from getting old. And you know, I've went out and checked on it the last five days and it just keeps getting newer and newer and newer. See how weird that sounds? The second law of thermodynamics, it is a law, it is proven, (laughs) says that it's often called the law of entropy, that all matter is on a continual path to chaos. Nothing gets newer. Only Jesus Christ and his power has the ability to make something new. All matter and everything that's been created is on the trajectory of chaos and getting older. I am 45 for another few days. <laughs> Just holding on to 45. I don't know. I'm 45 for another few days, and I just want to keep myself from getting older, but it is impossible, right? Well, the second law of thermodynamics is a scientifically proven law. And it's, it's been a law ever since, ever since, ever since. But the Bible, written 2,000 years ago, the verse I'm about to quote, was written way before there was any law of entropy or second law of thermodynamics. What does it say? What does it say? It's Ephesians chapter 1. It says this. In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. You created. The heavens are the work of your hands. You created. They will perish, but you remain. Well, that's not an odd. We know that. But look at this. They will all wear out like a garment. That's the second law of thermodynamics right there. We don't know exactly who wrote the book of Hebrews. A lot of people say it was Paul, but there's no way he knew the second law of thermodynamics. He was
was writing what God wanted him to write, but he was probably operating with a little bit of common sense that stuff doesn't get newer. But yet our unproven theory of evolution basically says that. Basically says that matter is reversing the law of entropy and that we are all developing and evolving into higher and better life forms. It's just pretty tough to grasp. So, Genesis chapter 1 says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. You might think you know where I'm going with this one, but this is God saying through Moses in Genesis chapter 1 that the lights in the sky were put there in an organized way to mark the seasons, the days, and the years. Hard is it to accept that a big bang could provide that sort of organization? That it could just happen on its own? It is pretty tough. Think about this the sun is a ball of fire, right? On fire. By definition, if something is on fire, it's going to get smaller and smaller and smaller as the days go by. Second law of thermodynamics. If you reverse that process, and we go back into time, the sun is going to get larger and larger and larger and larger because it's had less time on fire, right? If you take that process and you go back the 8 billion years that the theory of evolution is currently requiring to happen, you have an absolutely enormous sun that would be way too close to the earth for life to be sustained and to go through the evolutionary process. You wouldn't even have an earth because the sun would be so big that it would reach out to the earth and past. That's something to chew on, isn't it? Here's some more. You know what a solar eclipse looks like and you've seen that the moon fits right on that sun perfectly. Organized. The result of a big bang. For that to happen, you and I would have to be living in the midst of 8 billion years and however many million more would be to come. We just happen to live at exactly the right time that the earth, the sun, and the moon all line up in the millions of miles that are between all of them. Everything lines up perfectly. That's pretty tough to swallow, that 8 billion years if you ask me. And again, we're just talking what we see We're not scientists. I'm not. I'm just asking questions, right? Genesis 1.14, some of the most primitive scripture that we have. By Moses, the earliest scripture, there it is. Let them serve as signs to mark seasons and days and years. They are there for a reason and they are organized. Evolution claims the authority of science over the faith needed to believe in creation. The science that was used to prove the evolution of man in the Scopes trial were fossils. When that part came up, there were four fossils that were used as proof. Okay, so this is creation and evolution actually in a court of law. Not just me and you talking. A court of law. Let's see if it rises or falls. Let's see if it stands. There were four skeletons, Java man, Heidelberg man, Neanderthal man, 
and Cro-Magnum man. Of those four, three of them have since been disreputed. Java man was later proved to be a complete hoax. Neanderthal man and Cro-Magnum man have since been found out to actually be human because they buried their dead. They practiced religious rituals. They had tools and everything. So they were not apes. They were actually human beings, homo sapiens. And the only evidence for the fourth one, Heidelberg man, was just one jawbone that they took and made a man out of that one jawbone. So those were the skeletons. Those were the evidence that that theory was built on in the court of law back then when the Scopes trial happened. Looks like a house of cards now. Well, let's take a look at something else here. A quick look in the mirror, and what do you see? When someone says to you that your ancestors were apes, what do you do? Let's let that one sink in. That needs to sink in. Genesis 1, again, some of the most primitive scriptures, verse 26. God said, let's make man in our own image, in our likeness. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. That's a lot happier, isn't it? Even if that scripture would not be true, boy, I would sure want it to be true. I think I'd maybe be on the verge of believing it, even if it weren't true, because I just would want to. I would just want to believe that. That's good news. Have you forgot that scripture? Or lost sight of it, its influence and its power. And I bet you have. I have. You look in the mirror, do you like what you see? Grateful for who you are, what you look like. Grateful for another day of life. Oh, there's a lot of action packed right into that verse. You are fearfully and wonderfully made, friend. And what a shame if we don't if we forget about it. The Grand Canyon is something that has often been used and, and is seems to be the example that is often used for the great amount of time and ages that it would take, uh, or proof that those great amount of time and ages were actually there and that they actually occurred. You can see, they say, as the river has cut down through that rock, all the different layers are there, which correspond to the different times and all of the ages. So, I'm just going to ask a couple questions about that that I've come across in my research. And there will be some things here that you can chew on and you can think about. And you might want to just say, yeah, that's a good question. And the first question is this. How could a small river cut such a big canyon? You ever think about that? It couldn't, I don't think. How can we just skip over that one? How could a small river cut such a huge, vast, wide canyon? Why are there so many canyons without water sources? 
within the Grand Canyon? How did those canyons get cut at the same depth as the main canyon? Why are there barbed wire canyons? In other words, canyons that run contrasted to the main river backwards. How did they get carved? Here's one that's a little scientific, but where is the unmeasurable cubic tons of sediment that had to be carved from the canyon by the river? If it were truly the Colorado River that it would normally make a delta at the mouth of the river, but there is not one. Where is the vast amounts of sediment that would have had to have been removed? It's not even there. Here's another question. How did the Colorado River take a right turn and cross the Kaibab Plateau, the highest part of the area, and run uphill? What about the Indian legends and the topography that shows that there were two great lakes at the beginning of the canyon that could have easily, according to the Indian legends, been flooded or overflowed and cut the trench of the canyon. How come nobody's talking about those legends and the topography that matches up to those legends? How did the river cut such a deep and steep canyon in the hardest sediment in the area and not in the softer sediment upstream? Why is there not other Grand Canyons in areas with better environments and more rainfall? Spark any inspiration? Have you ever thought of questions like that? Or have we just accepted what's been told? I've been thinking about this and how oftentimes we don't speak up about this topic. And so it's, it's kind of easy for the, for the other ideas to kind of steamroll through because we don't want to really make any waves And I think that we miss the forest for the trees kind of on this sometimes. And so we're hesitant to speak up. And so we'll just ask the question, why does society take a neutral view on this or even an antagonistic view to the the story of creation? I think there's a biblical answer to that. And it's creation and all God's ways, for that matter, are described in the Bible as something that is spiritually discerned. Yeah, I know what the word discern means. I'm just, I got a definition here. It's the quality of being able to grasp and comprehend what might be obscure, the skill, the act, or the process of exhibiting keen insight and good judgment. The Bible says these things are some things that we need to, to be discerned. And part of that is because we have the enemy of our soul working against us trying to take away the viewpoint of God. 1 Corinthians 2 says, The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for their foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There's a lot of things like that within the Bible. I did a wedding for a buddy one time, and he had married an engineer from East Germany. And so I did a wedding for him and his new bride, And so the family of this woman had come to the States for the wedding. And it was so interesting just to get to know them in amongst all the the day's events and to talk with them. And so I just asked them if they had went to church. And uh, the bride's mother just, (laughs) that's what her response was. And so we began to talk a little bit. She's from East Germany. 
She grew up as a kid, uh, not too far removed from World War II when all of that stuff happened. And so there she was raised in atheistic East Germany. And she was one who absolutely could not see that there could be a God, that she was wonderfully created. And so as I would just talk with her, it's almost like my heart goes out to somebody who cannot see you and that, that blinded. I fear for us sometimes that we might be the same way to a lesser degree. Does your heart go out to someone who you would maybe see as lost? Oh, sure, they might say, well, yeah, and I believe in God. I believe in God. But is it such, such a way that it's a life-giving presence? I think our heart should break for that. So it took me back. It took me aback because of what that lady said. But it, the Bible is not so unsurprised by that. John 1, 3 says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. Ah, oh, wow. That life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. She grew up in a dark country. And let's just give God a hand clap right now if we could, because you and I were raised in a country that isn't like that. And we shouldn't take that for granted. But the canons of our country are aimed at the foundations of our biblical creation story. John 1.10, he was in the world, though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. Wow, how could... He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It's a great story. A great story of redemption that God would overlook what we so easily overlook and try to save us. When we look at creation, we are faced with the same thing. The question, how can people not see it? Or how are they at least neutral to it? When it has such life-giving power to it. After all, we read earlier our, our title verse. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities have been evident. How can people not see it? Biblical explanation. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, which you are also made in. 2 Corinthians We don't preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ and ourselves as your servants for Christ's sake. For God, who said, let light shine into the darkness, made his light shine into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And oh, you're so fortunate and lucky to be one who can say that. Matthew 5, 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. A Romans verse says that those, the wrath of God is being poured out on those who suppress the truth. But the opposite is also true. Blessed are the pure in heart who don't want to suppress the truth. They will find, the door will be open to them, and they will seek God. All right, I just want to end with this. It's it's a little bit brainy. It's not what I would say, but it... It's, think about this, okay? Few realize that it is a duty to exercise control over the thoughts and imaginations. 
It's difficult to keep the undisciplined mind fixed upon profitable subjects. But if the thoughts are not properly employed, religion cannot flourish in the soul. The mind must be preoccupied with sacred and eternal things, or it will cherish trifling and superficial thoughts. Both the intellectual and the moral powers must be disciplined, and they will strengthen and improve by exercise. A little bit of a challenge today. Decide to decide. Decide to decide. And here's a second challenge. Don't settle. Don't settle. You and I can choose to believe the life-giving message of creation. I think we rest on good stead there. Jesus talked about the creation of man and woman from the beginning. He accepted this. He accepted that there was a creation event, a week-long event in which God made everything, everything. In the Old Testament law, the Ten Commandments, which, by the way, are the only part of the Bible that are actually written by God's pen himself, his finger. It talks about obeying the Sabbath and honoring the Sabbath because God in six days created everything and then he rested on the seventh day. Have you ever thought about how much love is involved in that? First of all, in the six days of creation, there's a loving God who gave us life. And then on the seventh day of creation, he rested to provide an example for us because he knew that the life that he gave to us so graciously and lovingly would be all messed up by us in the garden and that the curse would come on us and we would have to work the ground by the sweat of our brow to make it produce fruit. So we messed the life up, but God comes with a commandment to say, That's going to be very hard for you to live on that curse. So I want you to take one day out of every seven and rest and honor me. Because you're going to need rest as you bully up to that curse. What a great and loving God. Gave the life. We messed it up. But still in his loving example, he calls us to rest. But he says in six days, by his own finger, I created everything. And on the seventh day, I rested. Six days of creation. He says that. One last verse. This is Paul to Timothy. It's not talking about creation, but it does also apply. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. I don't know that we've done that all that well. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Uh, That scripture says, "Uh uh-oh, is that pastor pointing at me that I'm wandering from the faith? Well, let's, let's just not even consider that right now. Let's just consider, have you wandered from the life giving and empowering message of you being the creation of God? Lost track? Have we had a perspective that's been deformed and informed by our society, 
by the enemy of our soul? We don't have to. We can put all of our eggs in the life-giving, redeeming, renewing power of Jesus Christ because he was there when all of that happened and the scriptures tell us that in him everything was made and everything still holds together. Don't settle. Decide to decide. Firmly based on scripture. And the very fact that God issued into this world life. Something that no scientist, no professor has ever been able to even come close to. Should say everything that you and I need to know about ourselves. Everything. You and I are all fearfully, wonderfully made. Let's fight for it and not settle for anything different, okay? Let's pray. God, you are the one who starts life. As we've talked about today, just now, Lord, let us also consider the fact that you are also the one that regenerates life that has been lost. You not only give life, but you bring back to life. And maybe that's the case for our spirit today. Maybe this story of creation is just all we need to know today. Lord, I think about Mount Rushmore and how we all acknowledge that somebody up there on that mountain created and fashioned those faces, that they had to be designed by someone who was creating them. But yet that mountain has no breath of life in it at all. And we do. (laughs) My Lord, how far we have maybe fallen in forgetting who we are. And the possibility from that is because we've forgotten who you are. Let us stand corrected today, Father. Let us play back the tape, go back to a time where maybe our faith was much stronger. Lord, I pray each one of us can be bolstered by what we've seen in the scripture today. And that we can remember who you are, how wonderful your creation is. And by all that, we can remember who we are in you and your power. And we are grateful, Father, that you gave your life through your Son to give us life. You are the life giver. We should be cheerful givers, motivated and bolstered by those simple truths. They have all the power in the world that we ever need. God, we just give you the praise. In your life-giving name, we pray. Amen. I've done this a couple times, but just as a little application, don't do it yet. When I have you stand for our song of invitation like we always do, but I want you to, just when you stand up here in a minute, stand up 
with this truth in your bones, all right? When you stand up, just let it do something to you that you are standing up for yourself and how wonderful you are because you're standing up for a wonderful, giving, creating God. It's made it all possible. All right, so let's just all stand together and you do that.